Welcome to the second episode of the new series of the Downtown Den podcast. Today, you'll hear me talking to the managing director of HPC and 1HR. Uh, she also has uh, a property business which she has investments in. It's called Veridus. And her biggest challenge, I suppose, is she's married to yours truly. It's Victoria Brown. Uh, she and I had uh, an hour or so chewing the fat about her entrepreneurial journey. She started out in business, would you believe, perhaps you would, as a PT, uh, then moved into hair and beauty before eventually uh, establishing her HR consultancy company. Now she runs three businesses. She's a wife, a mum, with all of the challenges uh, that those eclectic range of activities bring. And I think you'll enjoy what was a, a very uh, honest, frank, of course, frank conversation. Uh, and even I learned one or two things about Victoria that in all our years together, she'd never quite revealed. So enjoy uh, the latest in conversation with In the Downtown Den. Here's Victoria Brown, Managing Director of HPC and 1HR. Welcome to the latest podcast episode in the Downtown Den. And today I'm delighted to be joined by a woman I've known for 15 years, been married to for 10, and has had a fascinating career, largely in the area of HR, human resources, but she's been very entrepreneurial. Um, as she's been on her career journey and career path. Uh, she's worked and owned a beauty salon. She's also dabbled in property. And more recently, over the past 12 months or so, she's launched uh, a very interesting, and I think some people would suggest inspirational, uh, marketing brand called Lady Boss HR. So Victoria Brown, Managing Director of HPC and 1HR. Welcome to the Downtown Den podcast. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to take you back to uh, your early days. We've had this conversation uh, on many times over the years. Uh, it's something that I think is fascinating and I'm sure our listeners will as well. In terms of how your business journey started, because you were but a babe when you began to think about setting up your own business and a few bought for yourself? I was, yeah. I um, set my first business up when I was 17. Uh, I have always been a fitness fanatic, as you well know. Um, and I was very studious as well, very academic. But uh, due to sort of personal circumstances, my mum could not afford for me to go and to go to medical school, which is what I wanted to do at the time, uh, you know, to, to uni away. So I had to sort of make a decision to stay at home. Uh, I did a couple of retail jobs at the time. Can't even remember how much I got paid, but it certainly wasn't minimum wage at the time. I remember thinking, why am I doing this? So there was an opportunity to go on a course. So I went to night school and um, became a personal trainer. And for me, it was sort of, you know, I say it was £3 an hour versus like £17 I could get if I taught these classes. So I used to teach uh, for some of the, the gyms and some of the, the council-owned gyms at the time. And I thought, well, why don't I set 
but I don't know, I do this myself as well. So it's kind of gone full circle now because obviously you have the big gyms, but you have got all these smaller independents again now, haven't you? So I used to have a bit of a following at the time where I used to hire church halls, got myself like, you know, your kit with your mic and things. And I used to sort of traipse around Liverpool uh, and have like quite a good, strong following of women. Um, and I'd sort of um, obviously do, do sort of the, the classes, and then I started thinking, right, okay, well, I've got these women. Um, it was fantastic because I was getting paid to keep fit, which was like <laughs> amazing for me. Uh, I should have stayed doing that. Uh, but then I had a following of women that, you know, wanted to look after themselves. So that was why I ended up sort of defaulting into beauty as well. They were all things I could do while studying um, at the time uh, at sort of sixth form. And then I went on to the University of Liverpool. So I needed to do something that would make me some money and also obviously um, help support me during university because as I mentioned, you know, my mum needed that support. So um, I did some beauty courses and it just kind of spiraled from there really. And I think at the time when you set it up, it was, I just want to make some money. Uh, but I enjoyed building a business. Uh, I ended up sort of uh, going, getting, renting premises then I ended up buying premises then I ended up sort of moving to the hair and taking on staff and that's where the journey began I think in in HR because once I took those staff on whilst I loved being in business um I realized how challenging that was and how old are you by the time you set the salon I thought you were about to ask me how old I was now but <laughs> Frank that's really rude <laughs> Um, the salon, I was 21. Okay. So a, a relatively quick period of time that you've gone from PT sessions in church hall mm-hmm. to owning a building, salon, employing staff. And, you know, by anybody's standards, 21 is a young age to be doing that. Um, and I've always said to you, uh, I think there's a big difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. I think an entrepreneur is somebody who spots opportunities, spots the linkages, as you did there, between fitness and beauty, and then takes advantage of the skill set that they have. So, you know, I know your family pretty well now. Um, where do you think that entrepreneurial DNA comes from? Because you don't have a background of family in business. No, it's interesting, really, isn't it? Because I don't, no, we don't have a family um, of sort of entrepreneurs. And when I announced that I was going to um, set up in business, and then when I sort of, I did end up working in-house for a period of time in HR, because you needed to do that, obviously, to to sort of um, understand the industry. I remember announcing to my grandparents, I've, I've resigned, left my job because I'm going to set up a consultancy. And they were horrified. (laughs) Why are you doing that? You've got a really good job, really good opportunity to sort of, you know, be a HR director in the future. Why on earth would you do that? My mum, on the other hand, has always been very supportive. So not necessarily entrepreneurial, but always been um, a massive believer. You know, I think her attitude was always, yeah, if you, if you believe you can do that, then you can. And sometimes I look back and think, I don't know how you thought I could do that. And we totally winged it at the time. But 
she believed in me. Um, and and partly as well, I don't know whether sometimes it is from, from your journey. You know, as a, as a child, I did have some sort of tough part of my childhood. And I think it made me want to stand on my own two feet. I think coming from uh, a single parent family at the time, you know, still was some stigma attached around that. I wanted, I didn't want people to sort of judge my mum. I wanted people to be, you know, to say, wow, hasn't she done an amazing job? So I think my brother and I were always very sort of tuned into the fact that we never wanted to be as a failure in that regard. I don't know. I don't know whether that was what sort of has drove me more to sort of want to achieve more. Mm. I think just to explore this a little bit further, um, you know, often what we underestimate is people's drive, determination and commitment. And I've talked about this with other people in this series of the podcast as well, because I've seen some really talented people in business who, for whatever reason, haven't made as much of the opportunities as perhaps they ought, or even some people who come from far wealthier backgrounds and have inherited wealth who, for some reason, again, have crashed and burned. And for whatever reason, often results, when I reflect on it, in a lack of hard work. And I think the thing that you mentioned earlier about, you know, you studied hard, you were still doing your PT stuff. When you set your HR consultancy business up, you still had the salon. Mm. So you're multitasking. <laughs> and listen, I know from personal experience how hard you work. But is that being something that was just in your DNA? That's something that, you know, from a kid, you just worked on. Your schoolwork, your studies, your, you know, your, your fitness. Oh, 100%. I think my, and that definitely come, that does come from the family. You know, my grand had always said, you only get out of life what you put in. They've always been incredibly hardworking. Um, in some respects, I think that has been probably in the last 10 years to my disadvantage because when you are incredibly hardworking, sometimes it's a challenge around delegation. And I think I've now got to, I've still got some work to do on this, Frank, as you know, but um, my attitude sometimes when things aren't quite going my way is, right, pull up my sleeves and get stuck in. In more recent years, when I've moved into areas like tech and, and property, where actually I can't code and I can't plaster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had, to, I've had to delegate that work, but there's been some frustration for me sometimes when maybe it's not to, you know, the standard and people aren't, don't work as hard as I do. So I think 100%, I think a lot of, of my achievements have been through a lot of hard work, um, but it's trying to strike that balance between the two. Hmm. How do you handle those frustrations? So when people who you delegate to aren't meeting those high standards and expectations that you have, how do you manage that? Do you want the political? <laughs> no, well, the truth. These are, these, are, these are very... Nobody listens to these podcasts. You can say that, you Well, we've got a balcony in the office, so just throw them off that. Uh, no. I think now, 
and it sounds cliche, obviously I'm in HR, but I think a lot of it is around the culture of your business. And you know, you hear me talk about this a lot. I truly do believe in this. I think some of the problems I've had in the past has been I didn't recruit the right people. Um, I didn't onboard them in the right way. They didn't have the same value set as I have. Now, I'm blood, sweat and tears, by the way, to get to where I am now, where I have made some quite significant change over the last couple of years, where I have got people around me that actually have the same value set, so they are willing to work hard. And, you know, along the way, we all make mistakes. That's human error. I think it's the... The sort of that hardworking ethics that bothers me. If somebody's lazy and somebody's not willing to put that effort in and not willing to work as part of a team, then, then they don't belong in my business. How much do you think in terms of your expectations, you use your own activity as a benchmark? Because, you know, we, we've interviewed, as say, as part of this series, footballers, for example. And one of the things that, that they've said, um, many people have said within sport particularly, is that they've ended up seeing managers fail because the people around them simply can't perform to the standard that they used to perform. So I've heard this said about someone you won't know, a guy called Alan Ball, who won a World Cup, won a championship with Everton, won an FA Cup, I think, with, with Everton as well but certainly was considered to be one of the best players in England. And a lot of players who played for him said he just expected us all to be as good as he was. Um, do you think that, that you suffer a little bit from that at times where you, you, you just don't see them matching you and therefore there's a frustration within you? I think as a, you mentioned their managers and I think that's where there is the difference and that's probably taken me a long time to realize because I'm not a manager I'm a leader you know and it's my responsibility to lead and you know coach and mentor my team to sort of aspire to those levels of performance they're not necessarily going I mean you you hope to bring people in that are better than you don't you And, and as you grow as a business obviously you have those specialisms which again is something that you have to learn to do as well to let go, particularly for me because I obviously work within a professional service. So I'm used to, I've been, you know, very good HR consultant myself. So I've had to relinquish that responsibility to other people. But there's people in my business that are far better than than I am or and I was. I think I've definitely recognized that over more recent years. Um, I do think it was something that I wasn't great at sort of in the early years. And, you know, I, I did get incredibly frustrated when people couldn't sort of meet my standards. But you have to, I think you have to also recognise that sometimes you are a little bit, I mean, I don't know what normal is, but a little bit different. You know, there are, as you know, I'm, I'm incredibly active. I never stop. Um, my mind never stops. I can't sit still. We can't go to cinema, can we, really, without me moving? <laughs> uh, and I utilise that to my advantage, but I can't expect everyone else to be like that. And I think now within my business, it's great because I've got people that maybe are not as sort of, um, 
I haven't got those sorts of high levels of activity or, or sort of, you know, I am a little bit, you know, we need to just get shit done and we need to get it done now. Quite decisive and make decisions fast. I've got people in the business that aren't like that, that are a bit more introvert, take longer to make decisions, more detail, which is what I need around me, really. I think it's just taken me 40 years to understand myself. <laughs> but I think, you know, again, overnight successes, um, a few and far between if they exist at all. And what you described there is, I think, the journey that many business owners and entrepreneurs go through, which is, you know, there's, there's a learning curve for all of us, isn't there? Um, and you may have been, at a very young age, had the ability to spot an opportunity, to spot the linkages between those things that created a business that then motivated you to go into HR. All those things are great in terms of the creative side of your brain, but then having to deal with building a business and dealing with other people, very different characters, personalities, that's a different sort of skill set. And I would suggest that's a skill set that only comes through experience. I absolutely agree with that. When I was younger, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always known for wearing my heels, aren't I? Because I was always the youngest in business. You know, a lot of time, the only woman in the room uh, and short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm blonde. So everyone thought that, you know, I, I didn't know. Legally what I was blonde. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Clients have called me that before. Um, but I think my attitude and probably like I mentioned because my mum had you know great sort of attitude in terms of you can do if you want to do it Vic you can do it that's which was brilliant and you know which is something that we impart on on our children but I did have that attitude of like well I you know I'm I'm really it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how old I I could be 21 but I know what I'm doing and I look back now at my younger self and think gosh actually you know, you, you know so much more when you're older. I think I would have engaged a business coach from the beginning. You know, so many people, so many books I've read now, people that have been there, done it, and earned the stripes. Um, so I, I totally agree with that. I think you, you need that experience, don't you? And you do see that a lot of the time with entrepreneurs, don't you? Even if they have, do have massive success and really lucky at the beginning, they tend to be the, the second or the third business even tends to be even more successful from from that experience that they've learned from. You like to have people around you who can set your targets and hold you to account, don't you? And again, that's something that lots of business owners, I think, um, don't necessarily identify as an issue, particularly during their early days. And you take that into your fitness regime, you take it into your business. Um, And, you know, for people who are listening to this, perhaps in that sort of growth journey, um, how important has has the business coach been for you? Really important, and that was when we met. I think it was about five years ago now. He said to me, um, "What would you want to achieve from that?" This, and I said, "Accountability." And it's a little bit like you know, I have a personal trainer, same sort of thing, really. You know, I I know what I'm doing in the gym. I'm quite. Um, motivated you know I don't need somebody to still push me to train but it's being held accountable and same in in business you know a lot of the time I've got an idea what I need to do and I I will be very goal orientated but actually sitting in a room with somebody and them saying well did you 
did you did you actually achieve those actions last month and if you didn't why is is really really important i think even for the most ambitious entrepreneurs out there we can all become a little bit stagnant we can all have a bad month um same in fitness you can all go i'm not going to the gym tonight can't be bothered so just and be and it, it, it comes down to measurable activity as well doesn't it so in in business obviously having those measures having that business plan breaking it down into each quarter having your financial dashboard they were things that I kind of had but not not fantastic and that's been something that having a business coach has really helped me with just those tuning in on the things that I needed that that's fine tuning to help me to to grow and expand further okay let's let's just rewind a little then so you've got your salon Mm-hmm. Um, I presume at some stage you stopped doing PT because I can't imagine you're running <laughs> PT classes, doing the salon, doing your studies as well. Is that right? So the PT sort of goes out the window, you focus on uh, your, your beauty salon, and then you go into HR. Um, when you started the business high performance consultancy, what? You know, can you remember what your thoughts were in terms of ambitions at that stage? So I, I actually started, so my undergrad was in psychology. And my, because as I mentioned earlier, I, when I was younger, because I was very academic, I loved the sciences. I'm quite a black and white person. So I quite, in, you know, I enjoyed Really? <laughs> That's no great for me. Uh, I quite enjoyed you know, sciences, I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Um, so when I couldn't do that, I liked psychology. So I did an undergrad in psychology and then I did a master's in business psychology. So that kind of lends itself, particularly at the time in the North, because it wasn't as I sort of heard of, you know, when you look at organisational development and all the things that people in HR are talking about now, they weren't talking about that sort of 20 years ago. They were in business psychology. So I ended up sort of in HR because there was nowhere else for me to go unless I moved down south. Um, didn't want to do that, obviously, because my business interest was in, in the north. And obviously, I wanted to stay in the north at the time. Um, so I ended up in HR. So it was a bit by default, really. And then obviously, being the way I am, I couldn't be in HR and have, you know, managerial responsibilities and not have an employment law background. So I went back and studied a bit more. Um, so got lots of, not that it matters, but lots of letters after my name, just because I like to learn. <laughs> um, so I, I, I needed to understand HR. And then when I set up the, I think, I, I didn't sort of, I didn't set out to set up a business in HR originally. So when I went and worked for, um, Ed Hill University at the time, I worked in pharmaceutical and then I went to work at Ed Hill University. And I used to help them sort of do a lot of their recruitment for their senior managers. So I do a lot of um, psychometric testing and profiling and things. But then I, you know, I had a salon and oh, the challenges that you have in that field. And you know, I've said to you so many times, I've got so much respect for people that are salon owners. Because if you're going to make it, if you can make it in business and you can make it in, in that business, then you can make it anywhere. You have people, you know, it's cash rich business at the time. So you have people stealing from you. They've all got skills. So they all go and take clients and do things at, at weekends. 
there's loads of bitchiness oh you name it it happens so it just got me thinking you know I'm working in this large organ public sector you know education great big HR department understands employment law thinking I'm a small business I've got I think at the time six staff small business and the only available support to me was big massive sort of call centers who were just I was just a number to them not interested in me or the small one-man band who you know with the greatest respect again I'm not paying them a lot they're not that interested and when they get to a certain capacity they're not going to be able to provide the service it was just a bit of a light bulb moment for me I just thought right I've done it once why don't I do it again why don't I set something up And why don't I actually care about the business owner? And people say all the time, you know, you get everyone, oh, I've got a boutique provision, you know, I'm not, I'm sort of uh, small enough to care, big enough to cope. It's all cheesy. But to me, it it was the reason, it was the reason I set it up. Um, I've never wanted it to become a big call centre like those competitors of mine. I want it to be boutique. I think we can um, still grow across the UK in that manner and still be a highly profitable business. And I want to be proud of my business. So I'm never going to dilute our service, which is what you have to do to, to sort of get to the level and scale the way the consultant, the large call centres have, which is one of the reasons why I set up the tech part of the business as well. So it would allow me to scale, but still sort of hold that value and, and stay true to the, that personable value that matters to me. We'll come back to the tech side of the business later, but let's just focus in on, you know, your initial approach to uh, the business and then how you've mapped that out and how that's developed. And, you know, I think you and I probably very similar in this respect in that, you know, although we want to be profitable in terms of our businesses, of course we do. You've got to be profitable to pay your team and to grow and to evolve and so on. Um, I think it's fair to say that, we both get a buzz out of helping all the businesses and making a difference. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, you know, when we're having conversations, and I don't want this to sound as though the only thing we talk about is home is business because <laughs> there's lots of other things that we talk about. The kids. Mostly the kids. <laughs> um, but, you know, I can tell when you've had a good result in terms of doing some development work with a business. or And again, just while we're talking about this, when people talk about HR, they think about you in front of tribunals mm. representing people. It's a much, much broader field mm. than that, isn't it? But so two two aspects to that um, question, really. So firstly, you know, the, the motivation for you, I think, we say we all like earning money, but it's that making a difference. And then maybe a little bit of an explanation as to the areas that you get involved in with companies because, as I say, it's not all about sacking people and handling disputes, is it? No, not at all. So, yeah, that, that making a difference, as you say, is, is really important. And it, whenever I talk to a new client, we touch upon you know, employment tribunals and we touch upon sort of, you know, that, which is hor- more horrendous than it's ever been now, you know, so litigious. I always say to them, well, they're your foundations. So, you know, for me, in Q1, that's what we'll do. When we look at your uh, client and we, we sort of put that HR plan together or health and safety now as we've branched into that area, we'll get you compliant. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, 
And then let's start to get talk about the other nice parts of, of HR, as you say. And that probably is where my business psychology mind kicks in. I look at you know, what I want to get the most. At. The most important thing is to get the most out of your people, as we talked about before, for you to lead and for your people to really perform um, and to be happy and to be engaged. And, you know, there's so many studies around this. It works if you've got an engaged workforce. You're going to have a more profitable business. So people spend too much time sort of trying to navigate and be clever around sort of their employee relations issues um, and not pay attention to actually their engagement piece of their business. And looking at that employee life cycle and sort of going, right, you know, how do we recruit good people? How do we retain good people? And how when we've got them? Because we're not going to have them for as long as we used to have them. How are we going to get the most out of them during that period of time? And have fun on the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you've got to have fun in business. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Um, the tech you mentioned. So um, we're flying across to New York. Your <laughs> 30th birthday. We were celebrating that. And I was bored out with school on the plane. I don't think at the time we could afford the business class. Can't remember we had tellies on front of the. We might have done. Can't remember. You were like on the other side of the plane from me. We got separated, didn't we? <laughs> Which was great for you. Um, but then we're, we're, we're going across to New York. There is a point to this story, I promise you. Um, and when we got off the plane, you said, I've just come up with this fantastic idea for a new business. <laughs> And he has all these drawings and maps and blah, 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 blah. So tell us about that. So the, obviously one HR was born out of that uh, journey to New York, uh, certainly on the journey back because I love America. It's quite inspiring, mm. isn't it, really? Um, but it was the, to the point really where it, I was starting to feel growing pains in HR. So, you know, it's gone from me. It's gone from me, which was quite funny, you know, Starting when I had the salon, uh, as you know, the salon in Liverpool, and I had like we had like used to have this little like sort of kitchen area. So we just had a phone in the kitchen area, and that was that was HPC. You know, it was a little phone in there, and when it ring, it'd be hilarious because everyone'd be like, "Oh, Vic, do you other business?" <laughs> and I'd have to put like my posh voice on and, and be HPC. Uh, I've, I've made mistakes on that, and not not said that until it said it was a salon at some point. Um, but I knew that and that grew and that grew nicely. We all, we've grown sort of organically over time, taking staff on, sort of expanding outside of Liverpool. But the, the challenge with that business is that you've, because it is sort of consultancy and we provide, you know, support on site for clients, we provide unlimited helpline support. You get to capacity quite quickly for a consultant. There's only so many clients that they can service without me starting to dilute that service. So when you look at some of our bigger competitors, which obviously you do because they've, they've achieved a lot, the way in which they've done it is they'll bring in sort of grads, uh, put them on some sort of like internal academy and give them a load of auto cues. It's a very diluted service. You know, you don't know who you're going to get. Um, you, you know, it's just potluck and you are just a number. They never really get to under the skin of a business. And when you look at it, if they actually were honest around their retention levels, the retention levels are shocking because they just client collect. So it's, they lock them into long-term contracts. 
they basically hold them to ransom in those contracts. And then at the end, when they leave, they just move on and they recruit someone else. I don't want that. I want a business that's got, you know, and we've been really proud of having that high retention rate. My idea is, you know, I work with you. Unless you evolve and you bring it in-house, why would you move away from me? Uh, so we have the, it, it, it costs so much more money. I can't, can't remember the figure now, but a lot more, doesn't it, to obviously recruit a new client rather than just, just look after the ones you've got. So we got to a point where it was like, right, you know, I'm never going to really be, It'll be more of a lifestyle business if I don't do something else now because we're going to get to sort of a point where it's like, right, okay, we've got X amount of clients now. We need another consultant. Consultants don't come cheap either, Um, so on and so forth. So for me, I thought, right, at the time, there was not a huge amount in tech, to be honest, around. There was a couple of bits knocking about, but nothing really around HR tech. And there was massive frustration as well because we would imagine you're sort of talking to clients and a client would phone and go, I've got a performance issue. Joe's not performing. He's done this, this and this. We go, okay, right, we'll talk you through what we need to do, process. Where's, where's the evidence? You know, when did you have that meeting? When did you go through sort of his job description? When did you go through those performance issues? Uh and they haven't got them, you know, because because it's all been a conversation or actually they've done something that day and they're frustrated. There's no communication, no audit trail or absence. You know, this person's off every Monday. Great. Where's, where's the report? I haven't got one. So for me, I wanted to be open and transparent. So I thought, right, if we create a platform that has all these things in, it's great for me from a retention perspective because what we can start to say to clients is, We'll give you this part of the service. So we'll be able to run your reports. Sometimes with my sort of service, unless the, the client is having a problem with an employee, it's a little bit like an insurance for them. So sometimes, unless they sort of see the value, as we talked about before, in engagement and benefits and you know how you know that, that, that true HR, they just think, well, I haven't got a problem right now, so we don't need Vic and a team. This sort of helped because this was more tangible. So this was like, you know, every obviously employee has access to that. They get to, they're in and out of, of that sort of product all the time. We're putting our handbooks on there. They can see what we're doing behind the scenes. Um, so that helped me, I think, from a retention perspective for existing clients. But the other thing that you still excites me now is that it's scalable. So as long as I get it right and the software is fit for purpose, I can take this across the whole of the UK. I can take it beyond the UK, it can be worldwide. Um, and I don't have to dial up the service of HPC. And that that was really the reason why I did it. So there you go. The trip to New York was great in more ways than one. <laughs> um, so listen, we've come to uh, the point in the podcast where we're going to take a short break. Um, when we come back, I'll be talking to Victoria about sort of final stages of her business journey so far. Um, the new marketing and promotional campaign that she started through Lady Boss HR uh, and the challenges of our kids. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Downtown in Business is the fastest growing business organization in the UK. Working with decision makers from over a thousand companies across the country, in Liverpool, Lancashire, Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, Cheshire, 
Wolverhampton, Newcastle and London, with more locations to follow. Through an extensive and exciting events programme and through our social media platforms, we connect our members with other businesses who can help them grow. And we engage with senior politicians and officials at local, regional and national level to promote business-friendly policies. To join Downtown in Business, please visit our website. That's allawsdowntowninbusiness.com. Why don't you get involved with the fastest growing business organisation in the UK? So sorry to interrupt your podcast, but it's our 10th birthday and we're ready to begin a year of celebrations. So to get us started in just 60 seconds, we're going to do our best to get you excited about what more media could do for your business. Strategy writing. Digital marketing. Crisis management. Reputation building. Media training. Destination marketing. Brand development. Content creation. Social engagement. CEO. Positioning. Storytelling. Copywriting. Website development. Event management. Audience growth. Innovation. Brave and bold campaigns. Placemaking. Knowledge sharing. Making sure your team are loving life with a strong employer brand. Handholding. Getting you moving. Onward and upwards. Putting you in front of your audience. Be that in the News at 10, The Times, The Guardian, The Financial Times, BBC Breakfast, The Economist or good old Liverpool Echo. And most importantly, we don't do jazz hands. We tell you what we're going to do, we do it, then we show you the return on your investment. Fancy a cuppa? Drop us a line at itsneverdull at janemoremedia.com and we'll fire up that kettle. Downtown in Business will be talking about regeneration once again when we host our second annual Property Planning and Regeneration Conference in February 2023. We'll be heading to the Burlington Hotel in Birmingham, focusing on priority issues for the property industry, including the levelling up agenda, net zero, planning laws, housing development, high streets, infrastructure and partnerships. Among our contributors are the chief executives of Salford, Coventry, Newcastle and Wolverhampton City Councils, the leaders from Birmingham, Leeds and Manchester and the chief executive of the Liverpool City Region Combined Authority. We'll have national politicians speaking to us as well, including the godfather of regeneration, that's Lord Michael Heseltine. To book your tickets for this event, which takes place, I remind you, on the 9th of February 2023 in Birmingham, visit all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com, Get your tickets today for what is going to be another fantastic downtown event. Welcome back to this uh, Downtown Den podcast with the Managing Director of HPC and 1HR, Victoria Brown. Um, So Vic, we've been talking about sort of early days in business, how the businesses have, have developed. And uh, just to bring people bang up to date, uh, the salon is now sold. It is. So you got out of hair and beauty. Um, and I think it was a bit of a relief because it was starting to become quite a challenging thing to run the whole of a growing business, which HPC uh, and 1HR obviously are and focus on on the salon as well. So uh, any sort of reflections in terms of 
how that impacted on your business thinking, business journey? You know, is that a, a part of your life you look back on fondly? The hair salon and, and that? Oh, oh you smile. Is it, uh, <laughs> not sure fondly is the right word. Uh, I think, you know, I was, I was lucky because I did end up selling the business to the salon manager at the time. And I, you know, I still own the the property, which we, we'll talk about a little bit later, because I think that was great, because that, that sort of gave me the appetite for what I've gone on to do now. Um, but I think I should have probably sold it two years earlier. So I think I do have fond memories early on, I have fond memories of the first salon that I rented out, and it was like bright yellow and blue. I remember having an argument with the landlords, and the guy who worked for him said... He took me to one side and went, oh, my God, he said, you're going to go far. I don't know why. He went, because you're just feisty. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it definitely gave me that grit that obviously entrepreneurs talk about a lot these days, don't they? So I am, but I just, I think if I was to be totally honest, you know, they say you should, you know when you should sell. And I knew the time that I should have sold because my heart wasn't it anymore. But emotionally, I didn't. And it was, you know, I think if, if I had my time again or, you know, if our children ever do something like that, my advice would be follow your gut and I should have. And it, you know, it, it didn't probably impact financially in any way. Um, but, but those last two years, I actually hated the song. <laughs> interesting and then that sort of starts to taint the good memories doesn't it yeah definitely um so yeah okay and we will come back to, to to property towards the end of this conversation but um as the businesses have grown um again what i've saw in terms of a developing business is a developing business owner so when you and i first met you've never been somebody who i would describe of as uh, shy or reserved <laughs> um, but you've certainly not been someone who's been comfortable in self-promotion no um, you've always I think hidden your life under a bushel uh, and actually you know you often deflect personal um, credit onto your team or onto other people um, but I've, I've noticed the change over the past months or so, 12 months or so. Uh, and this really has been driven by this new brand that you've come up with, which is simply to, to help promote your businesses. Uh, and also, I think, you know, in fairness, to inspire other women around the fitness agenda. Mm-hmm. And that's this Lady Boss HR. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I'm just going to ask you about that. You know, what, what was the sort of thinking be, behind that? And how did you go from being somebody who always, even now, says to me on occasion, don't take a photograph of me. I hate getting my photograph taken. <laughs> to someone who's now, you know, getting a, a, a pretty big social media following. And obviously things like Instagram are very visually... Um, this was uh, our Croatia holiday, wasn't it? It's always so, on holiday. So I think the, the message that I now have, have learned is that we need to go on more holidays, Frank, <laughs> to inspire me to do good things. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I actually did start something sort of during lockdown, didn't I? So I think 
we had obviously lots of businesses trying to sort of navigate through all the changes, all the challenges that they had. You know, we, we provided quite a lot of support to like our hospitality clients where we said, just pause your payments because um, we grew in other areas. And we just, I was really conscious and concerned. And I thought, I actually need to play my part here because um, I was in a fortunate position. You know, everybody needed the HR and everybody needed, um, you know, that, that, that health and safety, that, that support. But for them to survive, they needed to make sure that they got the, the people side of the business, right? Because, you know, your sorts of staff wages can take you out, can't it? You know, if you're not trading. So we created a people hub at the time. So the idea being everyone was online, you know, and what we used to do is we do sort of like, you know, ma- massive sort of webinars where we'd have loads of clients and, and we'd, we extended it apart from clients. So like, just come along. If you own a business, come along. And we'd, we'd tackle some of these questions that people had around, you know, never thought I'd be an expert in furlough, but I am now. Um, and, you know, obviously when the government kept changing the way you did things, the way you paid people, holidays, we would go through that. So when um, we sort of come out of that and we were sat on, on holiday in Croatia, I was thinking about it and thought, I need to actually, you know, you talk about sort of creating that tribe, don't you? And I thought, I enjoyed that, you know, and how can I give something back and how can I help business owners? When I look back on the salon, what would I have needed? Uh, so we started to kick back off the, the people hub and I created that, the brand, Lady Boss HR. Um, and yeah, it's got a bit of a female agenda to it, you know, in terms of trying to inspire other female sort of, you know, maybe not necessarily sort of set up in business yet, or not in business, maybe just, you know, work for someone else, but they're trying to juggle kids and they're trying to juggle sort of, you know, they'd still want that career. And I just thought, you know, I'm at that sort of point in life where hopefully I can inspire other women to say, no, you can, you can be fit, you know, you can have have children, you can be a good mum and you can be successful as well. And then, we, you know, we've pulled that together now into obviously the, the People Hub as well, which has a, does have a sort of like HR and health and safety agenda, um, which is fantastic you know that has sort of been rolled out across the country i have i have sort of um quite a lot of people from other countries that will you know tune in and they'll, they'll sort of we bring in really good speakers uh, we've got like closed linkedin and facebook group now and the idea being it's there's no you know i don't make anything out of it it's just being sort of that support network for other people that are in business or people as part of their agenda being able to talk to one another and go I've got this issue what do you think we should do Uh, so that's fantastic but then obviously the lady boss brand and again it's interesting it's not um I didn't do it deliberately but part of my life there is a massive part of my life is fitness I think you know a healthy mind a healthy body by being sort of very sort of eating relatively well and as, as we do and sort of and training really helps my mental well-being and it's helped me to, to perform in my job so I do talk about it a lot it was never 
part of the plan for Lady Boss. Lady Boss was supposed to be more around, will help drive and educate people in, in, in sort of HR and health and safety. Uh, but by default, um, I have sort of ended up sharing quite quite a lot in what I do around fitness. Um, and it's amazing, really, the amount of sort of followers that I have, you know, quite a high percentage, about 70% are women. Um, and the feedback and sort of the... You know, asking me to do more in that area and, and give them that that support. A lot of them are, you know, sort of like mums and trying to juggle and you know, maybe trying to lose that weight that they haven't been able to. And you know, if 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 it makes a difference, well, that's fantastic. And we come back to that thing, don't we? Making a difference. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned um, parenthood there and motherhood, uh, and obviously anybody who's got kids knows the challenges, whatever walk of life you're in doesn't mean no matter whether you're a business owner or you just work nine to five work kids are a challenge mm-hmm. um and again i know one of the frustrations you have is that people often say to you how do you manage <laughs> with kids and you say to me you never get asked that <laughs> and you see one of the frustrations for me is i never get asked that mm-hmm. um because I think, again, there's an assumption still, it's remarkable really in 2022, that, you know, as a guy, you can have kids, but you can just sort of almost abandon them at the doorstep when you go to work and just pick them up again when you come home. Um, but do you think that attitudes in that area are changing or do you think that we're still very traditional in terms of that approach? I'm thinking about it because I'm thinking about sort of like my friends and like a lot of their relationships are very similar to ours in terms of, you know, no, actually, you, you know, it's very fairly sort of split. And I think that's where uh, there can be a massive frustration because for, for you and I, you know, we've both got our own businesses and, you know, we have, yeah, it is funny because I look back sometimes when we've been trying to navigate through and we have had that argument, haven't we? Of, well, why? There's an event we've both been invited to. Who's going? Can't get a sitter. Who thinks their business is more important than the other? Um, you know, and it takes time. And obviously, we, we, we work together as a team, don't we, to, to, to bring up the children. Uh, but I do think there is still, still a lot. I think there's a lot still to be done in this area. I think it's still quite traditional. There is an assumption. And I still get it now. Frank, you know that. You know, I still will get people um making an assumption that um I'm you're the breadwinner in in our family you know and I, and um and that can uh, be be sort of a frustration I've had it in at school you know I've had it mostly with Olivia when she was younger but you know I was um at one point like the only the only mum that would race to pick Olivia up from school after after school um that had a job you know, and, and that works. And I think now, you know, we, that there is a lot to be done there and things like what I'm doing and what other amazing sort of successful women are doing is, is being those role models, aren't they, to say, no, you can't. Because sometimes it's a confidence thing with a lot of the, a lot of women where they don't feel confident to be able to go back after they've had children or, or will I just leave it to my husband now or my partner sort of to, 
to be successful and and then you hear of them sort of don't you in the 40s or the 50s once the children are a little bit older of actually going back and then being incredibly successful um so yeah it's it's, it's there's still a lot of work to be done isn't it? i think there's still we've still got a bit of a glass ceiling in that regard i think we've also got a glass ceiling not just in terms of people's attitudes but you do think are, are getting much better now um but also in terms of the way in which we look at childcare mm. um, in terms of our um, government. Um, because, you know, the productivity in this country is so low and so poor in comparison to many other countries. And I thought that, you know, if we can get political for one minute, Labour's uh, introduction of Sure Starts scheme, where it enabled, um, and it was mostly mums, and a lot of the time, a single mum could drop the kids off at a younger age, pick them up, give them that flexibility. Um, but, you know, one of the challenges even you and I have is that lack of flexibility sometimes within the school systems. I mean, the summer holidays are a joy, aren't they? Um, so, you know, you've got six, seven weeks where you've got to entertain your kids. Um, we're very fortunate in that we've been able to get away for three of those six weeks on holidays. But for the rest of the time, you know, and again, what do you do with your kids? We've got family who supports us, which is great. But we still have occasions where we have to take the little one into the office. And But we can. There's still loads of people out there. You know, if you're working for someone, it's not as easy to just say, I'll take you into the work today. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. I do think positively there is change in that way. And I think maybe COVID has helped that a little bit because obviously a lot of people had to work from home. You know, at one point there was no choice, was there? You know, your children were there with you because they were not in school. Um, so I think attitudes have changed, you know, from... I mean, obviously, I'm talking sort of broadly around like my client base. I think people are a lot more comfortable. If you, if you rocked up to a meeting and your child was in tow years ago, that would have been like, what's going on? Whereas now it's just like a bit of a norm, really. Or you're on a Zoom and your child is sort of is behind. That's that's pretty much normal. And I think for parents, it's like just white noise, isn't it? For us, yeah. <laughs> we're used to it. I was with um, a, another fantastic female entrepreneur on Wednesday and she was saying that their board meetings now they actually have um sort of TVs up and like Peppa Pig's on one and Moana's on another and and because the directors all have young children they just go and have to bring the kids you know that's just the norm now um I think it's important as you say that you know you don't get we don't get anywhere near enough support from the government in this regard we're so behind from other countries but I think it's also around the employer like I am as a female leader having children, I think if you ask anyone in my business, they'll say I'm extremely flexible. So, you know, my, my attitude is, you know, I want you to pick your children up from school a couple of times a week. I don't want you to kill yourself to drop your kids in, in breakfast club like I used to sometimes, you know, and race down that motorway in the morning because the precious moments are important. And actually, you know, your team are more engaged, they're not stressed. And I think a, a, a parent's working day is not nine to five. You know, I think, you know, it can be sort of like drop your kids off, start work, go back, pick your kids up, put them to bed, get back and do some more work. As long as you're doing it and the output's there, if your job lends itself to do that, I think employers need to be a little bit more open-minded in that regard. But 
there is a frustration when you say around sort of some of the support that you've got there and I've lost some some good people which has frustrated me where they've actually you know had their children um come back wanted to come back to work but just haven't been able to afford to because they don't get sort of their childcare support until I think the child's two or something it's like why don't why don't they get that straight away I think that as I say attitudes are changing but we need to do a lot more you know I think on-site crashes for example in Places like that. I mean, Bruntwood are a really forward-thinking uh, commercial landlord. We've got offices in all the cities we operate in with Bruntwood, and it's something maybe I'll pick up with Chris Oglesby actually because I'd love to see that as a an option. Um, but listen, that's something we could probably talk about for for a long, long time, and we're not going to sort that problem out within a podcast. That's for sure. Let me move you on to uh, other aspects of your personal life and just how that might impact in terms of just how you operate as a person as a business owner um i'm asking you these questions not because i don't know the answer but because our listeners may be interested um mates friends yeah how important are they to you in terms of keeping you going massive massive i am i'm really really fortunate in that regard I've got uh, friends from when I was 11 from school I've got sort of a core friendship group that we've been friends then and you know we'll be be friends uh, till the day we die Uh, I had a 40th birthday party not that long ago that was kindly organized by you Francis Uh, and I said to you at the time didn't I that you know, and, and this is where I don't, sometimes I am quite a, a quiet person. I keep things quite close to my chest and I didn't want to have a big, a big do with loads of people. I said to you, I just want it to be close. I want it to be people that actually I love and love me. And it was lovely to be in that room and I sort of have 60 people around us because, you know, it, I do come from quite a small family um, and a lot of them friends that are really, you know, really, really close friends and and maybe that is part of the reason why it's so important to me because I did come from quite a small close-knit you know amazing family but small family um that those friendships were important along the way and do you ever find yourself um talking to your mates about business or is it very much a time when you think I'm with my mates I can switch off yeah I'm, I'm a very Vic Vic's very different with a friend you know my friends uh I've got one actually that has started up a business last uh, year old now which is amazing uh but the others aren't in business you know they're not they haven't got that mindset they're not interested in that they are very very supportive of me and you know my um very very strong sort of support me in the background which is amazing but we don't talk about business I wouldn't want to bore them uh you know I don't not at all but equally like my friends who did just set up not that long ago in business if they need my support then I, then I will impart what I know mm. what where I've gone wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh and let's just explore that for for a minute or two um where do you think looking back um you have gone wrong so you've talked about a little bit of perhaps um impatience in the early days with people working around you're not really appreciating you know how different people operate and so on um but you know we all we all make i wouldn't even call them mistakes i just think sometimes you do things 
and you evolve and you think actually you know we need to do things differently now and i wish we'd have implemented this earlier i.e i wish to served the salon two years earlier mm. than we did you know are there any other sort of things that you know that business owners listening to this you could think well actually do you know these are the sort of things that, that i'd look out for or these are the sort of things that i think you should be looking to do to develop yourself as a person and your business as well I think what we talked about earlier, obviously, I should say, impatience, the um, inability to de- delegate. And I think I have been the practitioner for too long. So um, I think the book, it's called The E-Myth. That is a really good book in that regard because it you know explains that and the importance of actually stepping away. So sometimes when you do set up a business where actually you can't do it, as we mentioned before, in property and tech, it helps in that regard because you, you're not unable to do it anyway. When you've got a business like HR, where actually I can, you do, you, you find it, you know, and I can sometimes, I can default into that. Let's look at my emails, you know, oh, because, I, because I've come from a, a business that we provide advice and we've got to provide that advice straight away. I've, um, I do go back into that mindset sometimes and I know now, you're doing it, Vic. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. It doesn't matter. Those emails are irrelevant. You don't have to respond within two hours anymore. Um, but I think a big one for me, and I'm still learning this one, is um, risk. So I, and you've always said this to me, so I think it's a joke. I am, I am a little bit, you know, risk, risk averse. And uh, I had an opportunity very early on with One HR when um, I approached people to develop it. And there was a company in London that said, this is amazing. No one else has got it on the market. We'll go 50-50, so we'll build it. You promote it. And I think it was sort of lack of understanding and, and, and ignorance at the time. I thought, oh, no, no, I want 100% of this. Now, looking back and looking at some of the, you know, I've had some massive development challenges in that business. I've had some sharks that have worked with me. I've lost some money along the way. I probably would have been in a, probably retired by now because <laughs> I would have been one of the first on the market. By the time I got it onto the market, you know, you had another 20 competitors there so um and you know maybe it's different I think I should as you sort of when you do when I first set my first business up I had nothing to lose I still lived at home you know so when I when I um handed in when you know the second time when I sort of handed my notice in I I didn't you know and I I had a, a mortgage and then you sort of look and you've got children and I think it makes it a little bit harder to sometimes take that risk but I read a, a book when we were on our last holiday um, called the, the, the Lady Who, uh, Jane, who, I can't remember her surname, sorry, but who uh, founded Logica. And she talks about being on the edge of a cliff, which is something that I keep thinking about now. And she said, you've got to be in business sometimes on that edge of the cliff where actually you go, oh, you know, I feel a bit sick now. Oh, have we took a little bit too much risk? But just enough not to fall off, but enough to actually be able to take you to that that next level. So that that's still something I need to work on. Um, and that hence, you know, why it's good having people around you like sort of a business coach and, and good people in your business just to to be more confident to take a little bit more risks just to take me to that next level and I'm the polar opposite <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
take too many risks. Complete opposite. <laughs> they are opposite detractors. They say. Um, right, I'm going to sort of end the podcast now in terms of going back to, to the business, but perhaps um, I wouldn't say it's a new passion because you mentioned earlier that when you set up the salon, you bought a property, and I think you've always had an eye for property and property investment. Um, but increasingly, it's something that's interesting you. Uh, and again, you know, what I've noticed with you is whenever you go into something, you're very keen to be educated. Like people who've done it previously. So you've been on courses to do property investment properly. Um, you, you tried to drag me along as well. And, and I sort of went along and, and took about 20% of it and you took 100% of it. Um, but is that something that in the future you'd think actually property, property investment development, that's, that's an area that I want to develop myself? Absolutely. So um, my brother and I dabbled a little bit in property. Um it sort of it, it was something that on my dad's side, um, his family had, had had sort of some property as well. So there's always been some level of interest. My brother um, went on and become a quantity surveyor, so he's always been interested around sort of building and, and, and construction. But again, sort of that l- level of ignorance around sort of. Uh, finances where it was like well we'll have a couple of properties and that'll be our retirement well I won't have a pension I'll, I'll, I'll do that instead and it was when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad it was like oh I'm just doing this completely wrong I'm not leveraging in the right way you know I'm, I'm looking at sort of good and bad debt in the wrong in the wrong way I'm, I'm looking at again that risk of their side any debt is bad debt for me um so and and then I had the the sort of salon property by default, uh, which was you know a reasonable size property as well. So yeah, we went and we did some quite a lot of education actually. We spent a good couple of years uh, traipsing down to Birmingham <laughs> at weekends and leaving you. With, in fact, I didn't go, Frank. It was just an excuse to get away from looking after the kids for the weekend. <laughs> Well, I got my own back when I went. Yeah, well, you get your own back every week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, so I've got some education in it and, you know, I've met some really, really successful people in, in property, which is incredible. Uh, and we've done a little bit, you know, mm. since then. I certainly haven't got some a massive property empire. You mentioned Bruntwood before, I'm nowhere near there. But done a little bit do enjoy it again I haven't done anything massive so we've done some residential some some HMOs a little bit of commercial to residential I did some stuff to the salon so again gosh I look back on that and then I sort of tripled the rent within that property by just expanding and going into the roof which was done years ago the telling point as well was a lot of people in the road have done it so it's just looked up really (laughs) but I didn't um, so yeah, I think I'll continue to do a little bit at the moment, uh, but it's something I probably would like to pursue in the future, just because I'm a black and white person. And I think through the education that I've had, and I think as long as you understand your numbers and the detail, um, make sure you calculate a level of risk and uncertainty, you can't really go wrong in, in, that, in that game. So not Bruntwood, but maybe McKenna would want to. Yeah? <laughs> um, right, listen, I'm, I'm going to 
close the podcast now. Um, it's been great speaking to you. We could have talked all day and we'll continue the conversation, I'm sure, into the night. And you'll tell me what I've done wrong in terms of the questions that I've posed to you today and what I should have asked you, really. Um, but that being said, thanks very much for being in the downtown den with us this afternoon. Thank you very much. Okay, so that was Victoria Brown, the Managing Director of HPC, uh, 1HR. I think some really fascinating things that Vic said that, um, you know, listen to some of those lessons that she's learned over a 20 year span of business. Listen also to the way in which she talks about continuous learning. So reading books, having a business coach, talking about, you know, she's gonna go into a new sphere of industry actually going and learning about it, not just diving in, um, knowing nothing about the subject that you're going to try and do business in. And I think also, you know, for working parents out there, and I say parents deliberately, not working mums, because it is a challenge for both men and women uh, in 2022, rightly so. Um, But getting that work-life balance is still something, I think, that she and I would say we haven't got quite right. It's important to have holidays, to spend time with your family and to try where you can and where you have influence to actually introduce that flexibility into the workplace so that working parents can feel as though they have that time and space to spend the quality time with the kids. It was fascinating to talk, albeit to my missus, uh, for that hour. And uh, surprisingly, I learned one or two things as well. Um, so listen, be with us at the next Downtown Zen. This is the new series of our Downtown Zen podcast. And we'll be talking to another incredible entrepreneur next week. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Downtown Zen podcast with Victoria Brown. And thanks once again to our sponsors, Jane Moore Media. Uh, Next up in the den is Phil Neville, a footballing legend, of course, Manchester United, Everton Football Club, manager of England Lionesses, and most recently uh, coaching in the USA. Uh, Phil has a fascinating career story, some great names, of course, that he references, including Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, David Moyes, some bloke that you may have heard of called Gary Neville uh, gets in there as well. So tune in next time. It's Phil Neville in the Downtown Den. (laughs) 